Hello and welcome. This is Communication Means Talking Together. My name is Arjun Bakshi. Let's learn a little bit about communication skills, leadership skills, and really how you'd like to improve your life, your career, and your outlook. Let's start. Hello, everyone. This week, I thought we would think about something that we have had for a while in our culture, and that's the idea of teams. This goes so far back into the beginnings of organized human society. And in our present day, any job description that you can possibly think of will always have a comment, something along the lines of must play well with others, must work well as a team, and so on. And someone wonders, what is a team? Why do teams exist? Why do some people not like teams? What makes some teams work? And what makes some teams struggle, if not completely fail? So going back to a comment I was making, teams have existed for a really long time. I'm no history expert or anthropological expert, but we all know through our common knowledge that in the beginnings of human society, we would learn over time it's more effective and probably safer that when the hunters would go out and try to find quarry for food, it would be better to have more than one or more than two hunters working together, dividing up roles. Somebody's looking for the quarry. Somebody's helping uh, keep the group safe and others are actually doing the, the work of felling the quarry while still others help to make the quarry transported back to the home site of the group. And I'm making this up as I go along, but you get the idea. And similarly, when the more agrarian societies came out, there was a division of labor, right? And people would almost intuitively figure out that somebody needs to do the planting, the watering, the plowing, different roles of growing crops. And even just the process of which crops are to be grown, you grow this one, I'll grow this one. You get the idea. The point being, one person couldn't do everything. And there had to be an agreement about what each person was undertaking, such that their contribution to a larger goal created success for all. Not complicated, right? And those two examples, the hunting example and the agriculture example, it's a simple thing of providing for the food needed to raise a family or a community. So bring it to our modern corporate work lives. The goal that everybody's trying to work towards is create a smooth functioning company that provides a product, delivers a service at a profitable rate with some amount of customer satisfaction such that the company stays in business. And there are, of course, many other ancillary goals that get attached to this, but that's the basics of it. So then, 
it shouldn't be any surprise that the heads of the companies that we work for or work with want everyone to get along, want everyone to do different jobs that meld well into each other, creating alignment. Everyone's on the same page, right? And so, as a result, we get the collective goal successfully achieved. Not complicated, not controversial. So then, the million-dollar question, why is it so hard to get people to function in teams? And more importantly, when they do function well in teams, what's the secret behind it? Let's think for a moment about the first question. What causes a challenge in good team dynamics? Let's take a few guesses. People don't know each other very well. So they're not able to anticipate each other's needs, requirements. They're not able to understand each other's way of speak, way of speaking, excuse me. And therefore, there's misunderstandings created, leading, therefore, to an ineffective dynamic. More simply, one might say, and this has been observed by many people, teams can break from, let's say, a team of 10 to clicks of twos and threes and fours, no different from your typical American high school where there is a self-interest attached to the membership of each subgroup or clique. And those cliques, rather than work cohesively towards one shared goal, end up working towards different goals beneficial to that subgroup rather than the large group. Again, this is something we have experienced, those of us that went through the schools and colleges, not just in America, but around the world. So the first uh, reason for team breakdown is people do not believe in the cohesive goal and pick a competitive rather than a cooperative dynamic or approach to their work. Let's let's uh, take that uh, step one step further. Why would anyone pick a competitive versus a cooperative goal? What it comes down to is incentives. Is the company incentive structure such that an individual besting others is more important than a, than a collective achievement of a team, well, then you're going to have clicks. You're going to have competitive incentives beating cooperative outcomes. However, if there is a melding of the cooperative and the competitive such that If the team works together and achieves certain targets, certain metrics, by each person individually outperforming what their expectations were, the team as a whole succeeds. So there's a feeling of achievement and each person gets some credit, possibly some tangible rewards. What you're trying to get here is the benefits of competition driving people to success and greater output without the division that ultimately creates a winner-take-all and a zero-sum game. So simply put, the right incentives help create a unified team versus a subgroup, competitive, zero-sum 
uh, almost fighting, aggressive situation. Another aspect to team dynamics, why they don't work, is lack of trust. Outside of competition, what could be reasons for lack of trust? There could be simple cultural reasons. And culture here just means any group that shares some traits, beliefs, background, history. And let's say there's a new person hired to come on board the team or a bunch of new people. Many a time, larger companies will acquire small companies and those are absorbed into the larger company. And so, not for any competitive reason, but due to their prior group membership, the, the larger company and the, let's say, the startup company that's absorbed into it, those two subgroups of employees are going to have a lack of trust for each other because they don't know how the other will behave. I was just hearing a completely unrelated podcast uh, of a different topic where as the person speaking on the on the show was narrating, they said literally in the span of two months, when there was a merger between the company they're working for and the larger conglomerate, in the span of two months, all their co-workers went from wearing T-shirts to suits and ties. And there was a total change from the backslapping, loud jokes, laughter, to serious, to-the-point communication. And we can see the benefits of both, right? There's advantages and disadvantages to uniform attire and how correctly we carry ourselves. But it's the sea change in a short span of time that can, that can create a lot of discomfort and in-group in, in and out-group behavior. So as a leader, the higher up you go, being able to observe how groups are carrying themselves Attire could be one thing. Rituals, who's hanging out with whom. Not that it's anyone's place to tell you to hang out with one person or the other. But, cre- but creating more company-sanctioned, you know, hangouts. Rituals, ways of speaking, traditions, and norms. These are, of course, as we'll talk perhaps in in many of our episodes in this podcast, these are the basic building blocks of culture. I'll repeat them again. Norms, so the rules we live by. Traditions, the things that we repeat uh, year after year or time after time that passed on from uh, one generation to another. Rituals, so specific acts that we undertake as part of those traditions. And language, right? So it's it's these four things ultimately that create a culture. And there's a few others, but these are the main building blocks. You'll, you'll well remember if there's no word for it, there's probably no uh, idea that can be expressed. And yet, if there's an idea that has a word for it, it has a place in that society, simply put. So coming back to trust in teams, by creating a strong, cohesive culture of the company that in this hypothetical scenario of merger or of bringing subgroups under one united umbrella, 
Now we get the idea of how teamwork, team culture, team belonging, cohesiveness can be instilled even when it wasn't there initially. It does take time, and it takes reinforcement, and it takes some critical efforts where people actually come through and break ice by successfully completing a project together. And maybe that's another idea, putting two different teams that might have some overlap on the same project, and they successfully complete it. Each team gets some credit, and they realize they couldn't have done the work without the other. Powerful lesson, right? So those are two things we've talked about so far. Uh, competitiveness and lack of trust are two reasons why teamwork doesn't always seem to succeed. One other one, which I'll kind of put as a smorgasbord uh, umbrella, and, and that's communication. I know that's, that's a pretty broad way of saying it, but let me give you an illustration. There was an Ivy League study done, and they, they, they studied many, I think, hundreds of teams that were successful and also some that were unsuccessful. Forget the details exactly, but what I took away from that study was there was almost nothing, no strong correlation between one successful team and another except one thing. And that was the ability and therefore the frequency of each individual person to speak up and disagree with the rest of the group. Let's say that again. Your team's success is contingent, according to at least this one study, on the ability of any member of that group, even the least experienced uh, least well-respected, least uh, expert person of your group should be able to speak up and say, hey, folks, can we look at that one more time? I have some concerns. And if there, there you go. I also illustrated a good way to bring up concerns in a way that's not combative and doesn't show uh, disrespect for the other person's ideas. So, Here we have it, folks. If there is an open-mindedness in the team to accept ideas, to not, uh, shall we say, be so uh, possessive of our ideas that they shouldn't ever be criticized by anyone across the table from us, then we are committed as a team not to credit for our individual work, which, of course, we do deserve, But rather, our greater priority is the success of the team in solving the problem at hand. A technique I often like to teach is something that uh, I think Google actually applied, and uh, maybe not maybe not explicitly, but certainly implicitly. I remember watching a video of uh, a team at Google working together on a particular problem, something to do with Google Maps, and. The leader of the team was using an old-fashioned uh, whiteboard with dry erase markers, and there were three or four members in the team. And the leader sort of put an open-ended question or a goal out for the rest of the team and said, hey, how would we do this? 
and ask each team member give an idea and add it to it. And a third person said something and a fourth person gave another prompt. And, and so many things were said in that melee. Ultimately, the leader of the team had put all their ideas up on the board and it was well categorized and there were groups of uh, ideas uh, categorized by um, how they were related to each other and so on. There were things underlined. It was so well organized. But you know what was missing from that whiteboard? Names. What are we trying to say? On that whiteboard, not a single individual team member's name was associated to the ideas that were mentioned on the whiteboard, meaning no one felt so connected to each single idea that they had mentioned. They were focused on the team's ideas that had now been put up on the board. Now, of course, we're going to remember what we said in a particular meeting. But you can see how the impact of that gets taken away and it gets sort of just absorbed into the team's ideas. And the next week and the week after that, when there's a when there's a handout, when there's a recap of the meetings, uh, proceedings and the team's discussion, no names are mentioned and only the team's ideas are mentioned. So this gives us a very good segue into how to build a good team. We've already mentioned a couple things. Well, if you think about it, really, everything we mentioned, if you reverse it, it's a, it's a, it's a building block for a good team. You want to build that kind of trust. You want to build that cohesive culture, cohesive goals. Focus on cooperation, uh, I'll coin a phrase here, cooperation, where the team to succeed together has to work with each other so that it's not about me looking good. It's about me helping the team look good, but I look good as a result of that. Adding to that is this idea of each person's idea working to solve the problem most effectively, but no one person taking too much uh, connection to each idea they, they throw in, because once it's thrown in and it's a good idea, it's an idea that belongs to the team, not necessarily to the individual. And finally, we're talking here about voice. The hardest thing to do as a leader is to make sure that everyone in your meeting, everyone in your group, everyone in your team is able to speak up and be heard. Many people in your team are going to be a little bit reticent, a little bit more introverted, a little bit more careful with their words, and that's okay. Sometimes you want to reach out by name and say, hey, so-and-so, what do you think about this? Maybe they don't really like that, and maybe you do that over email, maybe you do that one-on-one. The idea is you find a way to give them some kudos, and you give them their due without making them feel too uncomfortable. But most importantly, if they have concerns, they feel comfortable enough to mention it, if not in front of the whole team, but certainly in a one-on-one situation with the leader, and so that the team can benefit from their perspective and expertise and hopefully optimize the solution even further. So with that being said, folks, the team and the team's success is 
so wedded to the idea that each person on the team truly should belong there. And having one person extra really does change the entire dynamic of the team. So as a team leader, when you're sitting down with whomever you report to, and you're thinking about who to hire, do I need to hire someone? Do I need someone temporarily, contract, uh, new college grad? Maybe do I need to borrow someone from a different, different team or different department? Always really sit down and ask yourself, the person that I'm looking for is the role cleanly delineated enough from those roles that exist that there won't be any overlap with the people I already have. And more importantly, when you're actually interviewing people for the role, you want to make sure that they have the same belief in the team that you do and that the rest of the team does. They should fit right in because they belong there in the first place. Thank you for joining us this week with Communication Means Talking Together. Join us every week and we can also be in touch via email or through our social media. Go to our website, cultureofspeak.com for more details. And see you next week. Goodbye for now.